This is the Horse Radio Network. Welcome to Season 3 of the Horse Nutrition Podcast presented by Purina. In this season, best-selling author Lisa Waisaki, along with Purina's teams of PhD equine nutritionists and some very special guests, take you on a journey through many jobs a horse can do and how to feed for each job. You'll come away entertained, along with advice and knowledge on how to best feed your favorite equine companions. Welcome to the Horse Nutrition Podcast. We have a wonderful episode for you today with the story of an extraordinary horse who, once upon a time, had no future. We'll learn about this horse and about all kinds of medieval equestrian sports from Elizabeth Copris, who is the winner of Purina's Full Rain Contest and who comes to us from Morning View, Kentucky. I'm Lisa Wysocki in Ashland City, Tennessee. I'm an award-winning author, editor, equine clinician, and motivational speaker who trains horses for and consults with therapeutic riding programs. And I am your host for Season 3 of the Horse Nutrition Podcast, presented by Purina. Amid the clank of swords, the thunder of galloping horses, and the roar of cheering crowds, Elizabeth Copris has been dressing up in exotic medieval costumes since 1980. She is a member of the Society for Creative Anachronism, which is the international living history organization that recreates medieval European cultures just as it was before the 17th century. And of course, Elizabeth has brought her horses along with her on her adventurous journey. From jousting to mounted archery and a host of medieval equestrian games, Elizabeth teaches all of her horses exactly how to get in on the fun. But it has been with the horse she has had for the past decade, an unlikely rescue named Magic, where she has gotten her most enjoyment. Now, Elizabeth, before we get to your very special horse, Magic, I'm interested to learn about some of the medieval equestrian games you are so very passionate about. Well, I'm a member of the Society for Creative Anachronism. It is an international organization, and we recreate the Middle Ages as they should have been. We enjoy looking at the arts and sciences, and favorite, of course, is the martial combat and the equestrian activities. So those equestrian activities, does that include like jousting and archery and all of that? We do mounted joust- We do jousting, mounted archery, mounted combat. We also do a lot of games. Uh, we recreate a game called Bushkashi, where we have a stuffed goat. We don't use a decapitated live goat. That's but a stuffed goat, which is yeah. <laughs> so the with Bushkashi, you're you're trying to get the goat into the goal, and of course the other team's trying to steal the goat off of you, and that's fiercely competitive and requires a, a horse with a lot of activity, energy, drive, and ability to to work around a lot of horses moving at the same time. I can imagine. Wow. So if I went to one of your events, what can I do there? Do I watch? Can I participate in anything? Can I, can I get to know you guys? Oh, we're all about participation. Uh, this is not like a Renaissance fair where you go and walk around. It's when you come there, if you were a new person, we would try to find some garb, some clothing that would be appropriate that you could wear. And we will have garb from anywhere from 600 AD all the way up into the Elizabethan era with the really fancy rusts and everything else. I can, I can wear all these cool clothes? Oh, yeah. That's part of the fun of it is learning how to make your own clothes or even commissioning really fancy stuff. I even have several matching outfits with magic, <laughs> more matching outfits than with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you joust, for example, what might you wear? 
Well, when you're jousting, you have to first off have armor. We, we require eye protection for the horses. Rest of the horse armor is eye candy. Very nice barding. You want your horse to stand out and look very good. Yeah, you want to look like a medieval knight jousting in a tournament because that's what we're recreating. Well, I, I have to say when I was a teenager, I tried jousting a few times and man, it's a lot harder than it looks. And you have to have a well-trained horse too. I found that out pretty early on and you have to have a horse who kind of knows the sport. So what do you look for uh, when you're looking for a horse for jousting or any of these other games that you're playing? For jousting, you have to have a horse that will stand and then go into a canter and then stop at the end of the list without getting overly excited. The problem with this can be if your rider gets overly excited, then your horse can pick it up and then you have some behavioral issues that you don't want to deal with. Some horses don't like another horse coming straight at them and you've got a a lance lowered. So some horses can shy away from that. But most of the time we can train that out pretty easily. Our our trouble is more with training the riders than the horses themselves. Yeah, I could see that. And I can also see that if the rider's very excited that the horse would then pick up on that. That makes total sense. And I have um, a two-part question. My first one, my first part of this question is how much does all this armor weigh? And the second part is how do you get the horse used to all of the clanking? The, the clanking is an issue. Um, that's that's a, a short story. One of the first times my horse met a mule, we were playing something called tippet tag, where you have these tippets, these pieces of fabric hanging off of your arms. And of course, you have to go steal the tippets from the opposing team while they're trying to steal the tippets from you. As you can imagine, you're in very close quarters. And my horse generally handles very close quarters, except one of the gentlemen was riding a draft mule. And Magic, to my knowledge, had never met a mule. Add to this, the mule was covered in aluminum full plate armor. (laughs) When this mule would move, of course, you had to clank, 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 and it was moving oddly. So I'm, I'm bound to determine to get the tippet off of this knight who's on this mule. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling magic, let's go, let's go. And magic would run all the way up to his butt and stop. (laughs) (laughs) Run all the way up to his butt and stop. He was just not going that close to that crazy thing. The end of the event, once he got to see the mule several times, he calmed down and we were able to compete against each other. But uh, yeah, there's, there is a desensitization period. And that's probably one of the hardest things to do with these animals especially nowadays where a lot of people don't do a lot of different activities with their horses. You know, they'll, they'll take them to the arena and work around with them and then put them back in the barn. You know, we want these 4-H horses who've been there, done that, seen everything. You know, we have obstacle courses as one of our challenge events. And you might have to go through the um, the pool noodles. You might have to pick up a dragon that might have bells on it hit a drum, jump over things, walk over tarps, a lot of the things you would see in a 4-H activity. So you want a horse that's been desensitized. It really helps to have a confident horse like Magic who's not really afraid of anything or a horse that has a lot of confidence in its rider. You know, you mentioned the 4-H type of horse, but when you first got your horse Magic, he was not a 4-H horse by any means. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us a little bit about his background. Uh, Magic was one of 48 horses that were seized by the sheriff in Kentucky for failure to feed the animals. So the rescue group, Speak Up for Horses, brought these animals home. 
and they immediately adopted out quite a few of them. But after six months or so, they still had a number of animals there. So our 4-H group went out to work with the animals to help, you know, clean stalls, brush the animals, etc. And I met Magic. And Magic, man, he was gorgeous. He still was gorgeous. But he just, he had these striking blue eyes. And he was a paint, but just a little bit of chrome, kind of a splash white paint. He was so energetic, so athletic. You know, every horse that I'd worked on or ridden was, you know, uh, an older rescue, half pony, been rehab, not ready for, you know, prime time or not running barrels fast enough anymore. So I was the person who got to ride him at that point. I had never in my life owned a, an athletic animal like him. So when I met Magic, he was just recently gelded. He was coming on five. He was so sensitive that if you touched him, he would flinch, go up in the air. My 4-H girls called him Mr. Touchy Butt because <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you laid a hand on him, he'd, he'd flinch. Yeah. And uh, so I, my goal was to get him out, get him a little bit used to being touched and handled, and hopefully find him a home. You're busy brushing him and working with him and taking him out and, and getting him to know you and trust you. How did that how long did all of that take? I probably went out there a few times a week for, I don't know, four or five months. And it was, it was winter, so they, they have an indoor arena. It was nice to be able to go out there and work in the indoor. I still had horses over at my friend Deb's house that I was working with. But I was focused on magic because I just felt he was so special. And I really wanted him to find a good home. Um, when I would go and play with him, <laughs> I'd let him loose in the arena and he would just explode. I mean, you know, kicking and rearing and jumping. And sometimes he would run straight at me and I would stare him down and then I'd, I'd point to the left and at the last minute he'd jump to the left. And you know, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes I was scared. I'll, I'll be totally, I'll admit I was, I was not always as brave as I sound he is and you're working with him and you're connecting and but nobody's adopting him what made you want to keep this horse as your forever horse I tell this story one day I went out to get him and he comes to the stall door and the woman who's taking care of him goes and pours some grain into the bucket on the far side of the stall he looked at that bucket of grain and then he came back over and stared at me and waited for me to take him out of that stall he wanted out of that stall more than he wanted to eat grain. So I took him out to the arena and he ran around and I opened up the big back doors. This was in January. And I'm sitting on the fence looking outside and he just trots up to me and he puts his muzzle right on my arm. And yeah, I, I don't want to anthropomorphize, but I swear in my head I could just hear his voice. If you get me out of here, I will do anything you ask. You know, and sometimes I laughed that he had no idea what he was getting into because that poor horse has to do everything now. Well, true, but it sounds like he's really into all of the, the games and the whole medieval thing that you are also into. How long did it take this flinchy horse from a few months ago to become this steady horse that you can do just about anything on? Well, it was not an overnight transition. Ryan gave, put 30 days on him. And I should add that I, I was not what I would call an advanced rider. Yeah, a little better than a beginner, but an intermediate would be the best description for me. 
And I went out there one day to work with him with under Ryan's supervision. And I went to brush him. And of course, I hit him under the belly with the brush and the horse, all four feet went off the ground at once. <laughs> and Ryan's like, oh my goodness, because, you know, I'm paying him money to calm this horse down. So we took him out into the round pen and I got on him and, you know, Ryan is this horse trainer and he's watching this intermediate bungle around with this half wild horse. <laughs> He was, Ryan was a little nervous, you know, I'm like, oh, I'll just figure it out. And fortunately, we, we figured it out. There, there were some rough days. You've had this horse now for more than a decade. And he is no longer that horse that we've just been talking about. He has settled into his job where you can put a beginner on him. You can take him team penning. You can go on the trail ride. You can do anything with him. Was there a turning point where one day you you just got off the horse and you said he's where I want him to be I don't know that he will ever be where I want him to be but a lot of that is I'm not ever going to be where I want to be we're both pretty competitive and I have never even won a tournament on him which is kind of funny because Magic's actually won several tournaments (laughs) but not with you (laughs) but not with me Someday, I really hope to meet Magic, and I wish we had more time, but for now, I thank you so much for sharing your very special horse with all of us. Oh, you're welcome. I hope you get to meet him, too, someday, and uh, he would have fun giving you a ride around, whether you want to just take an easy trail ride or you want to actually do some competitive fighting. Earlier, Elizabeth shared with me that Magic has gone from a starved and neglected youngster to an easy keeper who is now in his teens. And here to help us process the different stages of feeding that a horse like Magic might go through is Dr. Anna Pesta, a PhD nutritionist on Purina's Equine Technical Solutions team. Dr. Pesta, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me again. Oh, absolutely. You know, I think there's a lot to process here on a nutrition level. So let's start at the beginning with a really thin, neglected four-year-old stallion who has just come out of a really horrible situation. What do you feed a horse like that and how? Yeah, so I think this is a good example of taking a horse through a lot of different stages of feeding and um, like with any horse that, you know, maybe some of the listeners out there may have adopted from a rescue organization or maybe find themselves in a situation where they need to bring a horse um, back from a really emaciated state, Um, kind of where you start depends on how bad the situation is. We could be talking all the way from a truly starved horse that maybe hasn't had much, if anything, to eat in, you know, a significant amount of time. And that's the most you know, conservative, carefully um, crafted type of program. And we would have about 10 days of a really careful refeeding program where we would probably only offer that horse one to two pounds of really nice leafy alfalfa every four hours or so for the first few days, just to make sure we, we get the digestive system kind of woken back up and get things moving and get the, the lining of that um, gut kind of healing and and back in a good state where it can absorb nutrients again. Um, Past that, if, you know, if maybe you don't start out in that bad of a way, or maybe once you get past that state, uh, about 10 days or so in, 
Um, if things are going well, you know, really high quality hay um, kind of offered in small meals around the clock is the foundation of what I would be trying to get calories into that horse with. And then it depends on the individual. Maybe their teeth were really neglected and they have dental issues. And if it looks like they're not going to be able to process hay well, we might go straight to a, a senior feed, like equine senior, something that's got fiber built in. Um, and, you know, there's a reason we feed horses post-surgery or in the hospital senior because it's really easy on the system and is really kind of nice and flows through the gut really easily. Um, past that, if they don't have dental issues and if they're eating hay well and everything's head then we need to look at getting really concentrated nutrition into them. Probably use a high calorie performance feed, um, something like maybe, you know, in Purina's lineup, Ultium Competition or an Omeline. 200 or 500, something that's got a lot of calories per pound and is really dense in terms of amino acids and vitamins and minerals. And then you just feed them like a skinny horse for weight gain um, for as long as it takes, which could be a while. Yeah. And I can imagine that that process could take months or even maybe a year or more. But at some point, that horse is going to be at uh, an optimum weight. And so how would an owner like Elizabeth know when that switch needed to happen? And what would you feed at that point? Yeah. So you'd want to be monitoring body condition all along. And like you said, this could be a long process. We can get a horse to about a half a pound a day of weight gain is a, a reasonable target. So, you know, if they need to get from a body condition score two to a five, that's three scores that would take, you know, better part of a you know, hundred days on the very low, low end. Um, so we're talking months, but once you get to that point, you'd want to be at preferably a body condition score of a five where you've got their ribs covered and they're in a healthy weight. And then you could, you know, a little bit trial and error to see how their metabolism is at this point. Do they seem like they're going to be kind of an easier keeper or are they just a pretty hard keeping type that's going to have to stay on a high calorie program? And you just see, you know, where you can back their grain down to maintain a nice weight and just, you know, use hay as your base of, you know, where they're getting the most calories from. So see where kind of your happy maintenance place is. And maybe that high calorie feed that you were using all this time is no longer appropriate. You know, if they're going to get too fat on four pounds of Ultium, you need to switch to something lower calorie so that you can feed the correct amount. So um, we can help, you know, if you, I know that the calories aren't on the bags of feed, but if you call a feed company, they should be able to tell you and head you in the right direction of what might work for that horse. That's really good advice. And I think, you know, now that uh, magic has turned into kind of a weekend warrior who is not quite a senior citizen, but he's certainly in middle age, um, there's another problem where he might be getting too fat. So he's gone from one mm -hmm. end of the spectrum all the way up to the, to the other. And what would we do there? Yeah. So um, 
you know, hopefully he's become significantly more easy keeping at this point. And he may, you know, if she has good forage availability, he may be able to maintain weight on just a ration balancer. Um, those are your, your concentrated feeds that are like 30% protein, where you only have to feed a pound or two a day to get all their nutrients without the added calories. And that's, you know, everybody knows of those air fern, you know, ponies that just look at hay and gain weight, they still need nutrients. So a ration balancer is what we use for a lot of those situations. And I uh, would imagine that magic might be one of those types at this point. It seems like that. And it seems as if we've talked about feeding every single kind of horse possible in the entire universe in the last three minutes. <laughs> because yeah, he's covered some ground. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he has gone through all of these different stages. Um, but you've got a plan for everything. And I think that's amazing. Yeah, I think it's just, you know, realize that it's fine to change feeds and change your program. And you don't have to be on one thing for years and years. Your horse's situation might change. Your forage might change. You might move to different parts of the country. And all of those are times to reevaluate um, your feeding program. And um, there's a lot of people that are available to help you, you know, talk to folks at the feed store and, um, you know, read articles on, you know, feed companies' websites. And it's really easy to get overwhelmed because there seems like there's a lot of options. But um, I think you would find that we're pretty helpful. I agree. I agree. And as always, Dr. Pesta, you've been a wealth of knowledge. And it's really a pleasure again to learn from you. And thank you for sharing your thoughts with us. Magic is one of the lucky ones. He's just one of thousands of neglected horses who are rescued each year across the United States. And while Magic did not receive the benefit of good care or nutrition early on in life, since his rescue, he's been properly fed and cared for every day. And that means that what could have been a very tough life was turned completely around by connecting with the perfect human partner, one who understood the importance of good nutrition. Now in his middle teens, Magic is a rock-solid horse who enjoys competing and jousting and all the other medieval arts, and he has the good health to continue on for many years to come. It's good to know that good care and management, along with the right nutrition, can develop the greatest potential in every horse for whatever job he or she is destined for every single day. Thank you for listening to the story of Magic on the Horse Nutrition Podcast presented by Purina. If you missed Season 1 or Season 2, go back on any podcast player to listen to all of the past episodes. Just search for Horse Radio Network in the Apple or Android App Store, and you'll find many different shows all about horses. To learn more about Purina's many equine products, just go to PurinaMills.com forward slash full rain. That's F-U-L-L-R-E-I-N. You can also take part in a feed trial. To learn more about that, just head to PurinaMills.com forward slash HRN trial. That's it for now. Tune in next time for another story of an incredible horse. Mm-hmm.